Hi everybody, welcome to the witching hour. It is spring and we're getting into beautiful warm weather. Have you gotten into gardening at all? A lot of good witches do. I am getting ready to plant my very own witch's garden in my backyard. So I have the perfect, perfect guest for this week. I have J.D. Walker. She has a beautiful book out called A Witch's Guide to Wildcraft. She shows you how regular plants and herbs you have in your backyard and along the road are herbs you can use for magic in food and spell working and everything else. Last week we had Haley, um, the paranormal princess, and she and I met up at Hollywood Ever Cemetery, one of my favorite places here in Hollywood, and hers. Um, it's like we had known each other a million years, and I actually kind of think we have. I did a past life reading on her, which she requested from me months and months ago, and as sort of suspected, we knew each other in the last life actually right here in Hollywood. Who knows, we might both be buried right at the Hollywood Forever ceremony we were doing a past life regression on in the middle of Hollywood. Um, it's an adorable thing. She, my new little sister, we actually kind of even look alike if you guys notice that on the thing. Um, but anyway, she's doing great. I have a new friend and I can't wait till the next time I see her. This life or the next. <laughs> I've got some great classes coming up for everybody. I still have my regular $10 every Thursday House of Intuition classes, um, something different every week, psychic development, spell working, love magic, which I just did last week. But I also have my Sunday series. I have a three-week course on mediumship coming up. I have a few spots left, so um, find me online or find me if you can't find me. It's three-week courses on mediumship. So if you're a medium already, you're going to get way better at it. If you don't even think you have the gift, you'll be amazed you probably do. So it's going to be exercises and chat and work and talk. And let's talk to the other side. And the biggest news of the week is Willow's bigger. <laughs> Willow gets bigger every day. And oh, she's just waking up from a nap. And Willow's nose gets longer every day. She's actually turning into a dachshund. Um, and the report is she's learned fetch. She can do a perfect fetch. Whether we throw a little bitty tennis ball or a favorite stuffed animal, she brings it back every time. We're still working on the PP pads, but she can do fetch. This week's magic and spell crafting, we're gonna talk about the moon. Moon, it's really important, especially important to us witches. Um, we already talked about in my elemental balancing exercises how much we are controlled by the moon. Um, it is almost 60% of our body is water. What is the moon control? The tides and water. So we're all affected by the moon. You could ask any cop, you can ask any hospital, ooh, it's full moon, the clubs, the crazies are out. Well, guess what? We are affected by every single moon cycle. And guess what? Magic is often done by the moon cycle. It's super easy. You can get into planetary stuff and astrology stuff, but whether you do or not, moons are way easy. So to follow moon cycles, it's written on your cell phone, it's written on every calendar you have. Every full moon, if you can get outside, get outside. Every single full moon, get outside, it's called drawing down the moon. Be in gratitude. It's a great time. Thank you, whoever you're thanking, God, the universe, your higher self, whatever you believe in. Thank you for everything I have. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for the other thing. And ask for what you want. Every belief system, magic, ask you ask for what you want. Thank you for my beautiful one-bedroom apartment. 
I want a two-bedroom apartment. Now is the time to do it. You have Don't get crazy with it. You have a two-day option. Some people say three-day option of that full moon energy, every full moon. And then the next two weeks, while the moon is waning or getting smaller, again, you could see it out the window or you could re read it on your calendar. The waning moon is the time to let go of things. That is the time to do magic where I want to lose a couple pounds. I want to quit smoking. I don't want to worry so much. It's also a time when you wake up in the morning, if you go, oh, the moon is waning, I'm going to let go of something. I'm going to not do this, whatever it is, whether that's a spell working or not. And that's almost two weeks. When you get down to the new moon, the dark moon, that's when you do a little inner work. If you want to do spell working and ritual, that's when you go inside, you do some shadow work. And then the next two weeks, almost two weeks, while the moon is waxing or getting bigger, that's when you add into your life more love, more sex, more lunch with your girlfriends, or get a raise, whatever that is. So now all of a sudden, in a 30-day cycle, um, you have literally done what we always strive to do, consciously creating every day. We're supposed to create our wor world, right? With two weeks of adding what we want and need, that full moon, gratitude for what we have, to ask for what we want. And then the waning moon, letting go of what's no longer serving us, not that it's good or bad, and then the contemplation. And guess what? It's just like breathing, that exact thing we need to do. And within just literally a few weeks, you will notice just by following the moon cycles, that the good stuff in your life is getting better faster and faster with grace and ease of the moon. The stuff you don't need anymore is going away faster and faster with grace and ease of the moon. So if you live your life by that, again, we are literally tapping into the tides, just like the ocean comes in and the oceans go out. Early man knew that, ancient man knew that. We just don't so much anymore. And then we start pulling it back, we get it. Now, if you want to take it into spell working, it's the exact same thing. So say you want to do a money spell. Um, I think on full moons, you could do about every kind of magic. So full moon, I'm going to do a money spell. I'm going to do an abundance spell. I'm going to do a new job spell. I would not do any of that on the waning moon because that's letting go energy. That's release energy. And if you can wait, I would wait till the new moon and do it on the new moon or just after the new moon or the waxing moon to the full moon. So that's part of the preparation of a spell working, which we'll do on another lesson. Okay, I want this, I want this. I should do it on a waxing crescent moon. I should do it on a full moon. It's part of the creation of the magic. And then you are working with our planet and all of nature's energies. Um, say what's a good one to do on, again, like weight loss or quitting smoking, or I don't want to worry so much. I don't want to talk back to my spouse or my mother or my whoever. Let's do that after the full moon on the waning moon. I'm not going to be so hard on myself. I'm not going to put myself down so much. So all of a sudden, we've got magic in every moon cycle. Remember, it runs us. We're water. Pay attention to that. It's, it's, it's magic. <laughs> So besides spell working, you want to know what is another kind of magic and spell working? Cooking, food, baking. Think about it, they're the, kind of the same thing, different ingredients that go in from separate ingredients that make a different thing. And actually the same ingredients, or many of the same ingredients that we use in spell working, are the ingredients we use in food. 
Ever notice how warm and fuzzy you get at an Italian restaurant and you like going in? It's comfort food. Yes, it is. But there's more than just that it's big, yummy, pasta, garby comfort food. The tomatoes in it are passion and love. The basil in it is also love. And it's soothing. It's literally a soothing thing. So these things are in food. You think about apple. Want to go? You're looking for love? You want to bring more love into your life? Let's go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Apples represent love. I don't like you influencing other people, as you know, in your magic, but there is nothing wrong with sharing a piece of apple pie with somebody you really like, is there? Looking for a little energy or passion? Any red food, any hot food, peppers, cinnamon, a little cinnamon, even on your hot cocoa or in your tea. Food is magic, food is spell working. And with that, I cannot wait to bring you my next guest. The beautiful J.D. Walker. She has a brand new book out called A Witch's Guide to Wildcraft. So tell us a little bit about that, J.D. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me on. This is, um, as we said, A Witch's Guide to wi uh, Wildcraft. Um, this takes the reader through 30 common plants that just about anybody can find in their landscape. It explains to them what they are, how to gather them, when to gather them, what to do with them after you have gathered them, uh, how to store them, and then use them in your uh, magical or spiritual path. Um, I put this book together with this kind of information uh, by combining what I have done for the last 30 years in the gardening community, all the gardening advice that I've given out uh, over the years, and I've applied this to uh, witchcraft, where perhaps people don't know as much as they would like to know about how to handle plants uh, in their landscape or in the garden, however they like to, to gather these. So we talk about how to uh, deadhead that plant. We talk about how to cut a piece of material off the plant so that you don't hurt the plant. You're respecting the environment. We talk about how uh, you want to be careful never to overgather whenever you go out there. You never take more than one third of a plant or more than a third of a community of plants um, because that, that's a very selfish, disrespectful way to treat your environment. Uh, and again, I picked 30-some uh, different plants that just about anybody can find. That's not everything that would be considered magical in your landscape. There's still tons of, of plants out there that we could have talked about. But I wanted to be sure that the plants that I talked about were ones that just about anywhere in the United States, the people who read this book could find the majority of these plants. It's called A Witch's Guide to Wildcraft, and it talks about how to gather, what to look for, uh, how to process it once you have gathered it, uh, and certain projects that you can do with the different plants that you can find. One of the things that uh, I've noticed, I have been a gardener for all of my life, uh, and I talk briefly about this in the book. Uh, my family had to garden because we were a large family. We had to have food to eat. And that meant you also had to learn how to gather it from the wild. So a lot of this stuff is kind of second nature to me. Uh, but I know that quite a number of folks haven't had time to learn to garden, haven't had the experience of being in a rural setting where they, they needed to learn gardening. So it's a new experience for them. They're trying to learn new uh, information 
as they go about trying to make that connection to the divine by working in their own uh, landscape outside uh, their own homes. Yeah, and we need that more than ever. We are getting back to the land. We got so technology so out. And I think part of even this pandemic is bringing us in, bringing us home, sitting us down, what's important. And and again, all the people I work with, they are rediscovering nature and moon mm -hmm. cycles and life and plants. And I myself, I live in, in Los Angeles in the Hollywood Hills. I am getting ready to plant a witch's garden. I don't quite know what that means. Your book will be in hand. Um, so I, I'm not a great chef of working it for food and how to eat, but I, I work with my herbs and plants and things in, in my magical workings. They're sitting there in the mortar and pestle and what I'm doing and what I'm putting and burning and putting in poppets and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so you being a gardener, grown and raised a gardener, and then you brought the spirituality, the witches path into things. So what would you say, um, I remember my first teacher decades ago, where I live in Southern California, and he said, almost everything you need for magic is in the hills right around you. You have it that right here. You have it right here. Um, which exactly is, right. So everywhere I go, it's like, I'm looking, well, I know that's sage, and I know that this is a mustard plant, and I know this is that. So mm -hmm. um, what do you think... What do you think are the best plants? If somebody wants to plant significant, not getting into where they live, what are the best herbs for you for magical workings, for all these people finding their path, mm. finding their spirituality, coming back to nature a little bit? Well, if you want to start from scratch and actually install a, a witch's garden, you start out with some basics, uh, some good basic herbs that anyone should be able to grow wherever they are in the United States would be things like sage and in this case i'm not talking about your western sage i'm talking about um the culinary sages uh that surprisingly people are always amazed to find out that this kitchen herb called sage is also used in magic and it's used in a very similar way to the western sage but i would do sage i would do rosemary uh of course you can do any of the artemisias which are the mugworts and the wormwoods uh, those are very good to have surprisingly the culinary herbs like basil that's a love herb people don't realize that it's amazing to me everyone when they go out on that first date what's the, a very easy thing to go to something that you're pretty sure somebody's going to like it's italian food which is just loaded with basil so you're going out on this date and you're eating basil which is reinforcing that love so we can put basil in uh parsley very good herb again culinary type herb but one that will, will grow easily, takes a little time. There's an old story about um, parsley. When you plant it, it takes about 14 days for the seeds to germinate, even in good weather. And the old wives' tale was that the seeds had to go back and forth to hell uh, at least nine times to ask the devil if it was okay to, to come up. Now, whether or not they're actually doing that, I don't know. But uh, you can start with those kinds of plants. Then you can branch out from that depending on what your need is. Uh, there are uh, things like um, heliotrope, wonderful herb for protection, um, but a little bit more challenging to grow, but still something that you can grow. Things that you can grow in your particular area, lemongrass. I have a very limited time that I can grow lemongrass. I can grow it during the summer, but if I don't bring it inside, it's going to die on me. Easy plant to grow wonderful to have for cleansing if you want to cleanse the negativity out of your home you can make a floor wash using lemongrass 
So those would cover some basic areas. Full sun, six to eight hour sun at least, regular water, well-drained soil, and you are good to go with your witch's garden. That's beautiful. So what exactly, you're talking herbs and plants, and for all my, my baby gardeners or urban folks like me, what makes the difference in an herb and a plant? What's an herb? Uh, generally speaking, when we say something is an herb, we mean that we're going to use it for culinary or medicinal purposes. Uh, technically, it's the soft, tender portion of a plant. So you say, well, I've got um, uh, I've got some uh, weed growing out here. I don't know for sure what it is, but it turns out that it's uh, horse nettle. Uh, well, if I take the top off of that, is that an herb? Well, I suppose if you were going to eat it, it would be. I wouldn't advise eating it. Uh, but generally speaking, an herb is something that we use for its culinary or medicinal, uh, or in this case, spiritual purpose. If it's just a plant growing there and it doesn't have any of those plant, or excuse me, doesn't have any of those purposes uh, beneficial to human beings, then we just say that's a plant. Okay, that's good because I really never knew. I thought I always thought, oh, it's an edible thing or whatever. Um, well, and I a love what you. That's an interesting thing, an interesting question, and a, a discussion that we had with the editors, I had with the editors, uh, trying to nail that um, that particular definition down, because uh, a lot of people will tell you it's the part that grows up above the ground, that is your herb, uh, and again, technically that's true, but in a magical sense, we use tree bark, uh, we use nuts, we use roots, uh, we use all parts of the plant, so you can't just keep yourself limited to the tender part that grows up above the ground. You have to have a broader understanding of what herb is. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I love what you said about basil too, because I always what I when I work with people and stuff, and I, if they're arguing with their partner or their roommate or whatever that is, I always say. Go have go have some like little basil on tomato and cheese or something because the red to me anything red is love. It stops arguing. It's like why not? You know exactly. There's a, so many things. You wonder why geranium is a popular flower in the landscape. Well, at one time it was originally thought to keep uh, evil spirits away, but then as people became more Christianized, it was uh, used planted purposefully to keep witches away, to keep the bad mm -hmm. things away. Well, witches knew that it wasn't keeping them away. It was just keeping right, away right. evil spirits. <laughs> but again, people just get used to this notion, well, we plant geraniums because they're pretty. No, originally you were planting them for a purpose. They've just become so ubiquitous uh, to the landscape, we forgot why we planted them. Right, and I plant them, or certain kinds of them, because to me, the evilest spirits they get rid of is mosquitoes. <laughs> if we have lemon geranium, and that just gets rid of mosquitoes, and to me, that's the worst of spirits. It's like, because they find me. Um, and I kind of, again, I, being a very urban girl, but blowing up suburban, I just kind of knew I would be picking stuff off my mom's plants and stuffing it in her purse knowing that that was going to bring her money. I'm pushing, pulling the rosemary off and the le and the mint off and just like she didn't quite understand why I was doing all this. But and I didn't quite understand it either. I just knew it worked. There's something visceral it about it. And the mint was a very good thing to help bring prosperity. Uh, there's a wild there's a weed out there uh, called uh, St. John's wort. Uh, and if you can find it, people think 
uh, St. John's wort, I take that for my mental health. Well, it's very good for that, but it's also used for prosperity spells. And if you can find it growing in your landscape out there or somewhere on the edge of the yard, on the side of the road that you can legally access, uh, you can certainly use it in magic. And again, those, um, those little disclaimers we have to add, anything that you gather that you don't know specifically what has been applied to it, please do not eat it, please do not drink it, please do not smoke it. Um, I originally uh, was going to call this book Roadside Magic because a lot of the plants I talk about you find growing in the ditch uh, on, beside your drive, driving out the road, or in a utility access. And that's all well and good, but you don't know if uh, the utility company came through and sprayed a bunch of chemicals on that. Uh, they're sitting by the side of the road, so you know they're absorbing the pollutions from the cars and anything that washes off the road. So we want to be a little bit careful about that and, and just reinforce the notion that if you are gathering plants magically and you don't know specifically what has been applied to them, do not consume them in any form or fashion. Now, does that does that count also for burning? Do you, uh, are you giving that up or less so? Generally speaking, if you're making an incense out of them, you're going to have so little smoke that it, it's not going to be an issue. Uh, again, if you're rolling it up in a cigarette paper and smoking it, and there are some herbs out there that might have uh, initially been used for that. For instance, uh, blue lobelia uh, is a wonderful plant that's um, a sedative uh, and was used by Native Americans in that context with tobacco as a, uh, a sedative type of herb or something that you would calm down when you're trying to get people together and you're sitting around a circle uh, and you're passing around this smoking material, they would use this stuff in there. So you can find it growing, for instance, in the utility access about half a mile from my home, uh, but I would never smoke that. I might dry it and use it in an incense to create that same vibration of peace and community and let's all get together and, and get along. But I wouldn't pick it out there, roll it up in a cigarette paper and smoke it because, you know, I don't know what the utility company has put on it. <laughs> Can only imagine. <laughs> Sad but true. Um, what are your about, I've, I've got growing questions in a second, but what would you, what would your top go-to protection herbs be? Protection herbs or plants? If I am, um, if I am doing straight up protection, my go-to would be any uh, of, of the natural herbs that I can find just going out in my yard and finding them. Uh, believe it or not, if you can find wild onion, that is a good protection herb because that's in the allium family. It's right up in there with garlic and the onions you buy on the uh, garden shelf or on the grocery shelf. So that would be a good protection herb. Uh, another one that I've mentioned before is the uh, poke root. Poke root is a strong protection herb. Uh, it's sometimes called the American mandrake. You'll see it referred to as that in different places. So when you dig that up and use the root, uh, you can use that for protection or for banishing. Uh, so those are two that come readily to mind. And of course, anything that's in the pepper family, if you go out into your garden, um, as a matter of fact, I happen to be growing uh, some peppers right now for my friend in Greensboro, uh, we mentioned uh, the, um, um, I don't know if you know what a ghost pepper is. Mm -mm. Oh, it's, it's an extraordinarily hot pepper. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you take that, you dry it, and you mix it into a, a banishing or uh, incense, or you put it in a poppet uh, for protection, or you put it in a grigri bag for protection. You want to be super careful because this thing is like 5,000 times hotter than jalapenos. Uh, so it's a good herb for protection. It's that fiery wall of protection. As a matter of fact, that's one of the ingredients she uses in her ointment, fiery wall of protection. Uh, so those would be ones to go to very quickly and very easily uh, to use for protection. Yeah. And you got to watch your fingers too if you're touching this, like you said at the beginning, oh, okay. while well, you're touching, because those fingers that touch it, all of a sudden you're touching your face. It's like, oh. <laughs> Before you know they've done that, so I had to say, yeah. Um, okay, what are your favorite herbs for either enhancing something, like you know, giving it uh, to make something stronger? Something yeah, that you, you use add, for that? Yeah. Uh, again, anything that has that heat to it. Uh, believe it or not, radish is is a good herb for that because it has an inherent heat. It's a Mars herb because of that heat. Any of the mustards would be good for that. That adds that extra energy. Uh, and again, keep going back to it, any of the peppers, whether you're talking about the black pepper in your kitchen, the red peppers out in your garden, wouldn't necessarily use green bell peppers. Those are going to be a little bit too mild to do you very much good. Uh, but those would be very good things. Um, if you are making a talisman of some sort, anything with thorns like brambles, that is your that's your protection. So if you were making, for instance, I, I advise people how to make a wreath to put on the door for protection. And there's a lot of things you can put on there. I start out making it out of honeysuckle vine uh, because that's a good positive energy. Uh, that's a Neptunian energy. So it's also for prosperity. Uh, but you make your wreath out of that. And then you put things on there that represent that protection you're trying to achieve. And you can carefully work some bramble stems in there that have the thorns on them. Uh, and that will add to that, that protection talisman that you're gonna hang on the door. Now you can also go ahead and put other things on there. Uh, for instance, uh, gluing some quartz crystals on there, uh, putting whatever kind of flowers you like, the artificial flowers, the silk flowers that make it pretty and would have anyone who walked by and just glanced at it go, oh, so she put a pretty wreath on her door not realizing that you put a protective talisman on your door. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one more of the kind of herbs you use or that you're, th in addition to basil, what about herbs for love? <laughs> well, of course you have to talk about roses. And, and I don't know if you have them there on the West Coast, but there's one that's blooming around my house now. It's called a multiflora rose. People initially uh, planted this, uh, it looks like a wild rose, uh, but it was brought in uh, into the United States to be planted along fence lines because they assumed the cattle would not go through the fence line if it was planted full of these rows. Uh, but the cattle just kind of ignored it and went right through the fence line anyway, <laughs> so it didn't do any good to keep them in. But it makes a wonderful flower, uh, and you can gather those flowers, uh, use the petals uh, for uh, any kind of love poppet that you're doing. Um, we mentioned that you can use uh, the basil. Let's see, some other good ones for love. Um, if you are trying to compel love or for a glamoury spell, um, you can use fern. Any plant that is associated with fairies can also be used in a glamoury spell that I don't consider that so much compelling magic as 
helping you put your best face forward so that people see your, your good traits and your positive traits right up front. And, and make, that makes you a little bit more appealing to them. Yeah. Yeah. They're putting on a glamour. Like when exactly. you run into that ex of yours and you're in your worst sweats at the grocery store. <laughs> Put on a glamour. <laughs> of yeah. course. Uh, oh, that is, that is beautiful. I'm just, I'm just, I'm picturing my garden right now. But I'm also picturing my garden going, who's eating everything? <laughs> so how do you work? I we have this thing here called squirrels. Anything oh. I've tried to plant so far, how do you, because I won't use pesticides. I won't use anything negative. I actually have a wildlife approved garden, mm -hmm. which you have to leave them shelter and this and that and no things. Do you have, do you work magically or do you work with planets? How do you, how do you work with things like squirrels? If you have? Well, there's, I've had people tell me that as a matter of fact, there's an old, um, there's an old spell in one of my books. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, where uh, the person writing it claimed that they had, had made a contract with the mice uh, and they would leave little things outside for the mice with the understanding the mice could have that, but they couldn't come inside. She claimed that she never had a problem with mice. I wouldn't want to take a chance on that. I certainly would not take a chance on that with squirrels because I don't know how they are where you are, but the squirrels around my house don't listen to anything. <laughs> no, mine don't either. But I <laughs> can tell you a, a environmentally, ecologically safe way to dissuade squirrels is um, you get what's called a horticultural oil. And this time of year, you would do a summer horticultural oil. It's a lightweight oil. And then you would mix in uh, red pepper. You people are going to think I'm just absolutely obsessed with pepper. Uh, but, <laughs> but you mix in uh, the pepper. You can also find pepper essential oils to mix in there. Uh, and you may have to play with the dosage a little bit. Spray that on your plants, whichever plants you are trying to protect. Uh, it will not hurt the plants, uh, but squirrels have the receptors on their tongue and they can taste the heat. They don't like it. So they might take that first bite and then they realize, ooh, this, this is hot. This is not good. So they don't mess with it. Now, if you're having trouble with the squirrels going into your flower pots or uh, around beds and just digging them up and making a mess. And I, I have that not unusually either. You have a couple of options. Um, one, if you don't have any dogs that will, will come around, you can use uh, blood meal. It's a good fertilizer. Magically speaking, it's a power material. I won't call it an herb, but it's a power material. It truly is made from animal blood, uh, slaughterhouse blood. Uh, so it will feed the plants, but the smell is a deterrent for the wild critters. They don't like the smell of that blood. The unfortunate thing, if you have dogs, they will smell it and go, ooh, something nice and tasty here, and they might go digging around in your plants mm. uh, to try to get to wherever the blood came from. Um, people have different feelings about using mothballs because it is uh, made from naphthalene. That is a petrochemical. But it's very good at dissuading squirrels, any kind of animal, quite frankly. I use them periodically, particularly early in the season, because you're trying to condition the animals to say, I don't want to go over there because it smelled bad. I, I just don't like the smell of that over there. And they forget to come to your garden. Uh, you may have to reapply in midsummer, but it's no problem. Or in a flower bed, a window box, or something like that put two or three or four, depending on how big the container is, 
again, will not harm your plants. You will ignore the smell after a certain amount of time, uh, but the squirrels don't like the smell of that, and they will stay away from your boxes or your beds, wherever you use them. You can hear people talk about putting hair clippings. Uh, when you trim your hair, just put your hair clippings out there. But I find that a lot of the urban wildlife we have around is so accustomed to people that that smell doesn't stop them anymore. Uh, it may right. have at one time, but it won't stop them now. Interesting. That is great, though. So thank you. I love what you said about mice. I, again, <laughs> I live in a hilly area in Hollywood, and I got, I don't know if it was mice or rats, but they felt big right above my bedroom and it felt it sounded like they were bowling I don't know what they had but it was rolling rolling so again I didn't know what to do I didn't want dead rats I didn't want traps I'm just oh, sure. so I negotiated with them I I I told I'm like I don't know if it's going to work but I said okay I've got a big backyard I even have fruit trees you can even have the fruit and I may negate you know regret that one day when I'm going out but I have a lot of fruit. I have fruit trees. Uh -huh. I said, if you just have to leave the house and you have to leave the garage and you have to use my house and you can have full reign of the yard, mm -hmm. but you can't be here or, and I didn't offer them offerings. I just said, or there would be consequences, which could even include death, which I do not want to do. I swear within 24 hours, they were gone. I'm like, you have I can start a business. reasonable critters around you because mine are not that way. <laughs> I couldn't, I don't know if ever, it might've been a once in a lifetime too. I'm like, I'm a rat whisperer, but I think I might be. I was just recently somewhere doing a haunted location thing. And I was literally dancing with a rat outside the streets of downtown LA mm -hmm. in front of a haunted going, I guess I'm a rat whisperer, but yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, tell us a little bit about how, how did you find the, the magical path of getting here? I mean, I know your herbs and gardens, because I've looked, you have another gardening stuff that has nothing to do with the spirituality and stuff. Mm -hmm. You write articles and things. Mm -hmm. So how did, did, did your love of nature turn into your spirituality? Did they just climb camber together? They kind of grew together. Um, I mentioned in the book that, again, we, we gardened uh, because we had to. And I love it. Uh, I'm from a large family. Uh, there were um, nine brothers and sisters. Uh, and out of all of us, myself and one other, uh, one other of my brothers were the only ones that really took to it and still garden on a regular basis. The rest of them would much prefer to go and, and buy their food in the grocery store. Uh, but that led to an interest in plants. That led to stories about plants. And that led to these these this information about plants are more than just something you put in your mouth or something that you decorate your yard with. They have these magical properties. And plus, like a lot of the people that uh, were my age back in the 60s and 70s, uh, you're too young to remember this, but... <laughs> yeah. Back, yeah, of course. <laughs> back in the day... There was a resurgence of interest in the occult back in the 70s, and, and I was caught up in that too. So that sparked an interest. There's a lot of it that even at that time when I would have friends of mine who would just go, well, that's just a bunch of malarkey. That's just a bunch of nonsense. No, there, there's something to this. Uh, so again, I, I was into, I have a copy, for instance, from when I was 16 years old of Sybil Leake's book on candle magic. Uh Miss Leek passed away, oh golly, 
probably 30 years ago. Uh, but at the time, she was very well known in the community as uh, a witch from England. Uh, she made all of the talk shows. And, and if there had been ghost shows at that time, I'm sure she would have been on those as well. <laughs> uh, she was uh, a practitioner and uh, she was a psychic. Uh, so uh, that's where my interest came from. And I guess having the interest plus the strong connection to nature, it was just natural. I was going to end up that way anyway. <laughs> that is beautiful. Um, yeah. And and my first, I always remember those first influence, again, because I knew I had this connection to nature, even in my little suburban L.A. area. Um, I felt that way about Scott Cunningham because his books, oh. the simplicity of his books and what these herbs and these plants and this kind of magic. Even when I did my book, I spent more time unwriting it than writing it to make it the simplicity of a Scott Cunningham book that you could just mm -hmm. pick it up and go, easy, I could do this. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. And the bit I've read of your book so far, I can't wait to devour it. You have that same, oh, you can do this kind of, <laughs> ah. Thank you. I appreciate That's, that. Mr. Yes. Cunningham. Uh, did uh, I think did our community a a world of benefit because again people don't realize back in the 70s when that interest in the cult was out there it was pretty well enforced you must be initiated in a coven there must be a group of you for you to participate in this and Mr. Cunningham asked the very legitimate question if that's true who initiated the first witch <laughs> somebody had to start <laughs> So uh, he got uh, around in the 90s, and I never really understood this in the late 90s. People started kind of turning their nose up at him and saying that, oh, well, you know, that's they used to call it uh, fluffy bunny magic. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, it's, I have several of his books, and you're right. They're, they're basic. They're accessible. He doesn't talk down to you. He, he doesn't try to make it sound like I've got secrets and you have no idea what they are and maybe I'll share them, maybe I won't. He, he's, it's just out there. Uh, I wish I had had an opportunity to meet him uh, before he passed away. But he did us yeah. a world good before he left. I us. agree. Again, he was my greatest influence. And I did get to meet him. I got to work oh, with him wonderful. once. I don't know, it was like at a pagan pride or something before uh -huh. he died. And I was a pretty young baby witch myself then. But it was, yeah, he was such an influence. And again, I have all these big books that I buy and they uh, they sit on the shelf or they're intimidating <laughs> or they're boring. But his, you could go, oh, I could do this. So I, exactly. I fluffy bunny magic. I may have to adopt that. <laughs> again, I, I probably completely come across as fluffy bunny magic. But again, I, on, it's on purpose because I know how my brain works and other people's brain must work like mine. <laughs> you need to get started somewhere. Uh, and if you want to get into um, Agrippa's Three Occult Books of Magic, uh, 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 Magical Philosophy, that's fine. Uh, it's pretty in-depth. If you want to get into alchemy, that is very in-depth. You almost need a science degree to get into that stuff. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. And you, it's not going to affect your spirituality to say, I'm a hedge witch or, or you know, I'm, I do low magic because those are terms that I use in the book. Low magic is practical magic, stuff that I need to do in my day-to-day -day life for prosperity, for spirituality, uh, for for romantic needs, for that matter. High magic is, is more structured. It's more, quote-unquote, scientific. There's, there's a different format to high magic. 
And that's fine. If you want to get involved in that kind of complex ritual, go for it. But there's no reason why you can't do and feel proud of doing what is called low magic or, or common magic, the everyday kind of magic that Cunningham was talking about whenever he wrote his books. Right. Because that, that's what I do. And I do get into much more, you know, deeper practices. And I have all this. My trunk, I have 300 books. My new nope. thing is my library. You want a book? I like to give people books. And some of them are high magic and getting mm -hmm. into all sorts of crazy things. But, you know, I like my, what what's going to get me through day to day in a really good way. And that's what my stuff is about. How to make right now, right here your life better, happier, more fulfilled, more the path you want to take. Mm -hmm. And then I'll exactly. go put on my cloaks, you know, on the, and do whatever I want to do. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, you are delightful. I am so excited oh, to finish you. your book, getting thank into you. it. So, um, how, so how, if people want to know more about this, again, where do they find your book? What else do you have out there? How do they find you? Well, um, you can find the book uh, with Llewellyn. I, I'll be honest with you, I have to double check because it just got uh, published. Uh, if it is available on Amazon or not, I'm not 100% sure, but you can definitely go to Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn.com, uh, and find it. Uh, you can look for roadsidemagic.com. That's a website that I've, I've put up, and I'm still developing it, but I'm accessible there. Uh, so if people wanted to ask questions or find out more about the book, they can uh, they can do that. Again, be patient with me. I'm still working on that part. I'm not a technical I'm not a technical witch by any means. Me, <laughs> Who would get Rob to do this stuff for me? <laughs> me neither. I, I uh, yeah. yeah. And um, as we we are trying to get it out as many places as we can, uh, I'm working with some folks with uh, Llewellyn to get it out into as many different places as we can. Um, I will be doing uh, in June, and if you go to the Llewellyn.com website, uh, there is a virtual conference going on, and I'll be doing a presentation uh, there, uh, and hopefully we'll have some more information at that point as to where you can find this book. Beautiful. What about, are you on social media? Can people find you there? Well, again, um, I have not set up a uh, social media account for um, uh, the uh, wild crafting book. Uh, I am on Facebook through House of Akasha. So if you go to House of Akasha, House of Akasha GSO on Facebook, uh, you can find me there. We post regularly about things that are interesting in the magical community, uh, ritual information, information like you will find in this book. So you can message me there and say, hey, I heard about this on this podcast. Uh, I want more information. How can I reach you directly? And I'd be happy to help out anyone that would uh, would be interested there. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to sign up for that page. Um, this has been amazing for me. I learned a lot. And again, I've been doing this for decades, but not from your perspective and knowing what these things uh, are come from. So thank you. I have a million more questions. So will you come back another time? Oh, please. Would you invite me back okay. another time? I would love for you to invite me back another time. To. I might actually know okay. more about what I'm talking about by that time. <laughs> You're doing pretty good right now. I've been saying that for decades. <laughs> Someday I'll figure this out. But no, right. thank you, JD. Everybody, JD Walker, Wildcraft, Plants, Herbs, Magic from the Earth. Thank you so much for joining us on The Witching Hour.
Thank you so much. And uh, hello again. And please keep reading to any and all of your listeners. Thank you.